Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Baylife Church Port Stevens. We hope you find this message challenges and inspires you in your daily Christian walk. For more information, visit www.baylifechurch.org.au. You guys can be seated. You can grab a seat. Thank you. So funny, once he knew I was from Queensland, he couldn't say anything nice about me after that. It was like, <laughs> hit, hit, hit a dead end. Great to be with you this morning. You feeling good? Awesome. That was uh, phenomenal. Praise and worship and uh, just an honor and a privilege to be with you guys uh, today. And uh, I'm looking forward to being with you today and tonight and hanging with some leaders this afternoon. Just fantastic. I got a couple of uh, great friends and heroes of mine here today, Pastor Phil and Lenore Camden are here this morning, and um, and uh, I love Phil, I love Lenore, they are just great, great people. Phil was diagnosed with motor neurons disease, I believe 2013, and uh, I've watched him from, I was pretty much here, I think, around that time, and walked through that journey uh, with him, and you know, there's not too many people that you have that close in your life that are inspiring, but watching how uh, Phil has handled uh, that diagnosis and that, that, that prognosis in life has just been unbelievably inspiring. And I may not always get the chance to say this so you can actually hear me. Uh, I love you, and I appreciate you. You're a good man. And uh, <clears throat> so, so that's so cool. Uh, that's what I want to do. So I'm going to get into my message in a second, but I'm not going to forget this if I don't do it. I, I bought a, a resource with me. Uh, we put uh, 18 messages on a USB drive. I love technology called The Collection. And there's a video and there's an audio of each of those messages on a USB drive. And then there's a couple of uh, uh, interviews there. I know that will bless you. Uh, they're $40 each. I spoke to your pastor uh, this morning before service. And uh, there's not a lot out there. I'm at the end of this trip. Uh, but uh, Phil's daughter, Jess, is doing the big freeze in June, I, I believe, uh, raising money to do research. There's no known cure for MND. And I got a friend with it, and my auntie passed uh, from it. Uh, so today, anything that you buy uh, on the resource table, uh, we're going to take that from the church, and we're going to give that to Jess towards the big freeze. So if you want to participate... In that, if you can't do that today, then get online and check that that out. That would be uh, phenomenal. I want you to go grab your Bible, go with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 18. Uh, I, I do. I live in Chicago. Um, I I didn't feel like a big noter American speaker uh, until uh, your pastor said that he didn't get the Melvin Star Dragster. When I was 10, I actually had a Melvin Star Dragster, brand new. Prosperity Doctrine, Kenneth Copeland. There we go. So, it's fantastic. Uh, so awesome. Matthew chapter 18, verse 23. It says this. It says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with the, the seat on the dragster. The Malvern Star was just unbelievable. I don't, I don't want to. Just the way the banana seat, the sissy bar on the back, and you just cruise. And all the kids, all the kids who didn't have a Malvern Star just had a reinvented bike. 
just stood on the side of the Townsville roads with a tear down there. And I'm just a with my footy cards in the back. Hate to mention that. Drag that up for you. <laughs> when he began to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, uh, this is a, a parable Jesus is telling. Uh, it's uh, everything about it is designed by him uh, to make a point. Nothing really here is accidental. And so the number 10,000 is used because in that day, this is sort of as far as they would get. So if they were like, okay, I got to think of a really big number. You know, what number can I drop on you? It's going to like fry your brain. Uh, that would be 10,000. In Greek uh, history, that's as far as they would go. I don't know if you've got a number like that with your family. Uh, with my family, we use the word kajillion. And so that's like, that's like 10,000, like old school kajillion. And the talent uh, was considered the, the, the largest weight that they would use to measure either gold or silver or, or bronze. And so most scholars would say that's around about 75 pound in, in weight. And so he has 10,000 talents in debt. He was not able to pay. But his master commanded that he be sold, his wife and children, and all that he had, that payment would be made. Now, a, a talent was equivalent to about 20 years average salary for the average worker. So this guy is 200,000 years in debt. How many of you know that's quite a bit of debt? He's 200,000 years in debt. So he is not able to pay it. And his master commanded that he be sold, his wife, his children, all that he had and payment be made. And so the servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I'll pay you all. The master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. But the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, a denarii was about uh, a day's salary. So the servant who owed him money owes him about a third of a year of salary. So this guy was 200,000 years in debt, went to his master and said, have patience with me, I'll pay you off. If you can just wait 200,000 years, we'll be able to fix it all up. He gets forgiven the debt and then goes and finds somebody who owes him a third of a year of, of, of debt. And... And so this is not like a small amount. Let's just say a year's salary was 30,000. Well, this is 10,000. So if somebody owes you 10 grand, it's, it's not like chump change. It's not like a small amount of money. But in comparison to what he was owed, this seems unbelievably insignificant. The Bible says he laid hands on him, took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down on his feet, begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. There are two players in this parable. There's the king who is owed a buttload of cash and the servant who is owed a seemingly insignificant amount. The king has mercy, cuts the check, pays off the debt, the servant goes out and demands the debt be paid. 
if you could take the name king and servant out and place your name into one of those characters, which one would, would you choose to be? Would you want to be like, I, I want to be the guy that's got the resource. I want to be the guy that's got the mercy. I want to be the person with the grace that's able to cut the check, pay the debt. Or would you want to be the servant who is so limited in the way he thinks, so limited in his mercy, so limited in his bank supply. He's like, no, you owe me. You've got to pay. If you could take those out and place a name in there and put your name in, which one would you want to be? I, I think most of us, if we were, you know, honest, we'd like, oh, I think I'd, I'd like to be the king. I, I'd like to be that. I'd like to be that guy. And so I want to talk about that a little bit this morning. I want to talk about how to develop uh, what I would call uh, the cajillionaire mindset. So before we do that, let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that it's alive and powerful. We thank you that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you that it's able to get into our life and penetrate and bring supernatural change. Work with me this morning, Holy Spirit, as I bring this word forth. Uh, work with the people out of here today that they're able to embrace your word and be changed from the inside out. Breathe on us today, God. Holy Spirit, more than anything, I pray, God, today, Jesus, please help me not to be boring. God, I pray that you'd help these people also not to be boring, because that's always really horrible in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. I think that's a good deal. <laughs> How many of you, just by show of hands, have ever been uh, asked a question, <clears throat> and when you got asked that question, you thought, that's fairly loaded, like, like you feel like there's an agenda attached to the question you've been asked. Anybody ever have that? My daughter will do it to me all the time. She'll text me, hey, Dad. You know, what, baby? Can you do me a favor? Like, yeah, I'd like to know the favor first. You know, like fairly loaded, like sort of wide open. My wife is the queen of the loaded question. We'll get into bed late at night, turn the light off, just get comfortable, pull the sheets up. I'll look at her beautiful face and she'll look back and she'll say, hey, babe, were you thinking about going upstairs and getting a drink? And I'll be like, well, I was honest with you, no. Why? She goes, oh, I was just thinking that while you're up there, maybe you could get me a drink. So it's a loaded question. Matthew chapter 18 features two questions, both incredibly loaded. Uh, the first starts the chapter out. The disciples come up to Jesus, and they ask him this question. Jesus, in your kingdom... Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to have the authority? Who's going, to, who's going to sit on your right hand? Who's going to sit on your left hand? Who's going to be the man? Now, their understanding of kingdom was different than what we understand kingdom being. We look back through, you know, history. But for them, they don't have a cross. They don't have a grave. They don't have a resurrection. They don't have an ascension. They don't have a baptism of the Holy Spirit. They don't have the birthing of the church. In their mindset, Messiah meant political revolution. What they're anticipating was that Jesus would raise up an army of revolutionists. They would overthrow the Roman government. They'd take control. And Jesus would rule and reign. And so in their mindset, they're like, you know, when it all goes down and you take control, obviously... You know, you're going to need like a vice messiah, 
like a deputy of salvation or something like that. You're going to need some wingmen, some roll buddies, the people hang with you. When that happens, out of the dirty dozen here, which one of us is going to hold that? But they're jockeying for position. Jesus takes a little kid out, sits the child on his lap. Now, the child wasn't bought in for the cute factor. The child wasn't bought as the illustration. Ah, oh, it's Johnny. And it's sort of like cute. The child was bought in because the child had no value. They wouldn't count children in the crowds. Uh, the child had no value in that day and age. And so Jesus brings the child in and sits the child on his lap. Now, the context is, how do you have authority? How do you have kingdom authority? And then he goes into a conversation on the context and the subject of kingdom authority. And so he brings a child in, sits the child on his lap, and then Jesus just starts dropping bombs on authority. In verse 4, he says, you've got to humble yourself, and you've got to come into the kingdom just like this little child. He starts talking about children, but the context is not about kids. It's not about how you and I deal with children. We now are the children. He says, if you want to have great kingdom authority, when you come into kingdom, when you come into church, you, as an adult, need to humble yourself and you need to take that position as a child. So everything you bust out from that point is talking about us. He says, how you treat each other's, is how you treat me. Verse 6, if you take advantage of other children in the kingdom, you're in deep yogurt. In verse 7 to a 9, he says, beware of offenses and try not to offend other people. In other words, children play nicely. Verse 10 to 11, don't use that simplicity. Don't use that innocence to treat each other arrogantly. He goes on verse 12 to 14, pretty much to say that lost people matter to God. He's like, if one sheep goes astray, we'll leave the 100 or the 99 and go and chase the one. And so Jesus is talking about kingdom authority and about, about relationships. And in verse 15, he says, now listen, if your brother does sin against you. So here's the context. Come in humbly, come in as a child, play nicely, be nice. Don't take advantage of each other. Don't deliberately offend people. But... If it happens, if, if you get offended, if you, if you get disappointed, if you get hurt, if you get wounded, somebody rubs you the wrong, wrong way, then deal with it. In other words, when you get community like this, with all different personalities and backgrounds, and it's unavoidable getting hurt in church. Someone is going to disappoint you. I know that this is mind-blowing, and probably you would be like, I can't even believe this, but I've preached, and, and people have been offended by what I've said. I know it's hard to believe. I I've offended people with stuff I didn't even say. I had this one girl write me a letter, an email, and she's like, Pastor, I really enjoyed your message the other day. She said, but, but you said that Peter denied Jesus like a little girl. And so I get like, she sends me articles on fight like a girl and uh, it's like all this stuff. And so I wrote back and said, you know, thank you for writing. It was awesome. And most times, I, you know, I offend people by what I say. Uh, in your scenario, I didn't even say that. 
Uh, I actually said that uh, uh, Peter denied Jesus to a little girl, which is very different than what happened. And, uh, but you know, you'll be able to fix that. <coughs> then, then, then you offend people, uh, sort of by what you say, but by their filter, by how they filter it. I was preaching a message on Super Bowl Sunday in America. I love, I love football. I love mindless violence. I don't really love baseball. It's like cricket on Prozac, and so, so I don't love it. Um, so I was talking about baseball, and now I watched a game of baseball, and they played nine innings, and they got one point, or one run. It's awful. And how how I if if they and, and it's easy because you know for the fielder because he's out in the field with these massive big mitts. Like, how can you even miss the ball? Like, you're just out there, like, you know, you just don't even have to move. And so I suggested what they do is that every now and then through the game, they just hit a button and release pit bulls <laughs> to chase the ball down. How cool would that be? Field is out there trying to catch the ball. He's got pit bulls going for the same ball. And, and I thought that would be awesome. And maybe set the pit bulls on fire. So they're like flaming pit bulls. And so he's like dodging pit bulls and flames and stuff like that. And anyway, this lady wrote me an email. She was furious at my cruelty to animals. We got on her Facebook page and there's photos of her with all these dogs. She's a dog lover. And so she had a photo with her with a chihuahua. She had a photo with her with like a sausage dog and... There's all these, you know, dog photos. And so she's listening to that through her love of dogs. She doesn't hear the joke. I had to write back. So, man, I'm so sorry. I didn't get time to lay up in my joke. Uh, the fact that no dogs were actually injured in my joke. <laughs> but just to let you know, before I tell the joke, I actually take time out to dress them all in fire-proof uh, suits so none of them even suffer a scar or a burn. They don't even feel the heat. And all, all the dogs survive in my joke. But she's offended because of her filter. And I worry for this generation. Because if there was ever an easily offendable generation, we're in it now. Oh my gosh. In Chicago, where I live, if I do an accent, if I had like an Asian accent or an Indian accent, any, they edit that off the podcast. If I do anything remotely political, if I tell a global war, anything, global war, any joke, edit it out of the podcast. I tell you, you better be pretty. Like, how do you get it? Like, I'm in America. People all the time trying to do an Australian accent. People walk up to me, good eye, mate, chuck another shrimp on the barber. You know, it's like... And I've never once heard somebody in America try to do an Australian accent and thought, you're trying to sound like me. <laughs> I want to say, the last election, when President Trump got voted in, they were so overwhelmed in one of the universities on the East Coast, Pennsylvania, I believe it was, so overwhelmed that they had to create a safe room 
for students to go and process the election result. And, and not only the safe room so they could process it, they had to bring them in puppies. They bought them in puppies to cuddle so they could cuddle the puppy and process the election result. Now, these aren't children. These are young adults. They're studying to be your lawyer. I don't want an attorney fighting for me in a court case that gets offenders like, go, go, and is like racing out, cuddling the puppy. Listen, I'm just going to tell you, if, if the re- election result is so traumatic that you need a safe room and a puppy, life is going to beat the tar out of you. You are not going to survive life. There's st- tougher stuff coming down the pipe that's going to beat you to pieces. It's terrifying. And so the same with church life. Listen, in this close community, you can't avoid getting hurt. And what Jesus says is don't avoid it. In verse 15, he goes on from verse 15 right through to verse 18, deal with it. Now, in church life, we don't hug puppies. We hide behind the skirt of God and say, God told me to leave. It's just a reality. Now, I believe that God tells people to leave churches. I believe there's a transitional point. I pioneered a church in New Zealand, pastored it for nine and a half years. God spoke to me about resigning the church, focusing on youth ministry. And over about eight years of prophecy, eight years of different, I, I, I resigned the church and I was able to take that word and have it tested with my spiritual authority. And I was, so I, I believe that God calls people out. I've been doing this for 30 years. And I'd say about 90% of what people say God told me to leave is Christian speak for passive aggressiveness that they actually won't deal with an offense. And rather than go, I'm offended, I'm hurt, I'm wounded and have some situation, they just, and they just like run off. Now, now obviously that wasn't you, that's people at other places. But, 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 but the Bible tells us when you get hurt, you have a responsibility to go and deal with it. Now you deal with it in grace. It says when you get hurt, go and talk to the person about, you, about it. Now, you don't have to go in all guns, blaze. you hurt me. You can go, hey, you know, you said this or this happened. And I don't know if I read it wrong. You build a bridge. I don't know if I, I read it wrong, but when I picked it, it, it hurt. I'm not sure you realize that. Can you help me process that? You, you go and talk to them. Then it says in that passage, if that doesn't work, take someone with you. If that doesn't work, get the church involved. If that doesn't work, have another shot. If that doesn't work, then you break relationships. But the Bible says, as far as it depends on you, you need to be at peace with all men. You you, you can't get through life without having some issues relationally. Verse 18, he goes on and talks about reconciliation, you know, releasing that authority in, in the kingdom of God. He says, assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two or three or two of you agree on earth concerning anything they ask, I'll, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. What's the context of that? The context of that is overcoming hurt. Overcome. How do you get kingdom authority? Then you learn how to do reconciliation. You learn how to operate in the area of forgiveness. So then that takes us to verse 21, which is the second question with an agenda. Peter says, well, Jesus, uh, how many times should we forgive? 
seven times. That's the base of that question. Now, now here's the agenda. Jesus is talking about kingdom authority based on who sits at your right hand and who sits at your left. They're jockeying for position. Peter's hearing all this about forgiveness, and so he wants to break out with a statement. Now, seven times means something. In that day, the rabbis taught, based on Old Testament scriptures, that really generous forgiveness was three times. I was going to really go out of my way to forgive you three times. Three strikes, then you're out. So Peter is like doubling it and adding tax. This is sort of how I imagine Peter thinking. He's like, hey, guys, watch this. Jesus is talking about authority, about forgiveness and stuff. I'm just going to go and just drop this. You know, just watch. Just watch and learn, man. Watch and learn. This is how it's done. So Peter comes out, hey, Jesus, uh, yeah, I know you're chatting there about kingdom authority and stuff like that. Uh, I've been contemplating the question, how many times actually should we uh, roll with this thing called forgiveness, I'm thinking. Seven times. Notice that? Five and two. Seven. Pretty good math for a North Queensland. And he's anticipating Jesus to look at him and go, Yea, verily and therefore, Peter. And yea, again I say, yea. I have just been talking about forgiveness, but I had not even contemplated the degree and the level and magnitude of the number of forgivenesses that you just busted out. Did I just hear you rightly say that you would forgive somebody seven times? That just fries my savior brain. Get on my right hand. You are the man. You're the man. That's what he's anticipating. That's what he's anticipating Jesus to say. And then Jesus looks at him, he's like, eh, nah, there we go, we're rolling with a bit more than that, bro. Why don't we try 70 times 7? In other words, there's no limit. Then he says, there's a king who was owed 10,000 talents. He breaks into this parable about forgiveness. And in that parable, there's an escalation on how forgiveness should roll out from our life. Jesus never asked us to do anything that he wouldn't do himself. When Jesus went to the cross, they threw everything at him. They'd beaten him with their fists. They'd pulled fistfuls of beard out of his face with a hand. They'd spat on him. They mocked him, rammed a crown of thorns in his head, scourged him with an inch of his life, nailed him to a cross naked uh, as a common criminal, uh, accusation over his head. With all that going down, Jesus looks down and makes a statement to them. He says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. In that one statement, there's four levels of forgiveness. I believe that help us grow in authority. I just want to give those to you just briefly this morning before we pray. First one is simply this. You've got to learn how to receive the promise. When Jesus went to the cross, he didn't die for his sins. He died for ours. He died for our failures, our mistakes, our shame, our our regret, our brokenness. He died to heal us. He he didn't need it. We needed it. So when he went to the cross, all of that he took on. Every every ounce of blood he shed was a a redemption statement back to us of things that he wanted to fix in our world. When, when When the servant 
was forgiven. When the servant was forgiven, he was forgiven all of his sin. The first thing that we need to learn to do is receive the promise. You've got to need to learn how to receive the promise of forgiveness for your own life. The, the servant had his whole debt, 200,000 years wiped out. And he was happy to receive the whole debt wiped out. When Jesus forgives us our sin, he forgives everything, past, present, and future. We are as white as snow. We are clean. We stand before God holy and righteous, not because of we're that great, but because God is that great. And we can come into the throne room of God and cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, God. We are, we are right before God because of what Jesus did on the cross. And you've got to learn how to receive that forgiveness because sometimes I met people and they sort of like live their life a little bit like this. Well, I believe that God could forgive me for A, B, C, and D, but I, I'm not sure He could forgive me for G. I know all that little stuff, but I I did this back then. How could God possibly love me with this that has gone down? And they carry shame and regret. And it's almost like, yeah, I can worship God, but I'm not sure that I can worship Him freely. Listen, if you are going to forgive anybody else in your life, you've got to learn to forgive yourself. You've got to learn to realize that God has forgiven you. He has cleansed you. You are right before God. You've got to learn how to receive the promise. Second thing that you've got to learn to do is you've got to learn how to reciprocate the privilege. You've got to learn how to reciprocate the privilege. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, which meant that he had to cross the boundary of him forgiving them. He had to go, hey, this is okay with me. I, I, have, I have forgiven. You've got to learn how to reciprocate the privilege. In the parable, the servant is forgiven this overwhelming debt, and then every one of us, I'm pretty sure, I can't say everyone, I can't guarantee every person here, but most of us here, when that guy goes out and won't forgive the guy for the third of a year of debt, we realize that's jacked up. We realize, I mean, dude, that's wrong. You should have gone, you should have easily forgiven him for what you've been forgiven of, which is the point of the parable. Jesus says, when we pray, Father, forgive me my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. The only bit of the prayer that he backtracks on and explains. So he gets to the amen, and he's like, well, I'm not really sure you got the forgiveness thing. Let me just go back and explain that bit, the only bit in the prayer. He's like, you've got to get the forgiveness thing right. Why? Because when you know how to forgive other people, it builds kingdom authority. When you live light, you build kingdom authority. And so you've got to learn how to forgive other people. Here's what forgiveness simply is. Forgiveness is paying the debt that you feel like somebody owed you. You hurt me when I'm young. You hurt me. And let's say you robbed my peace. You took my peace. When I don't forgive you, it's like, you need to give that back to me. You took that from me. I need to get that back. Forgiveness pays that debt. You took my purity. You robbed my purity. You rob my peace. You rob my joy. You rob my, you rob my, you know, youth. You took something from, you stole something from me, and, and you've got to pay, you got to pay that back. What forgiveness does is it pays the debt. Now, sometimes we think forgiveness is burying our head in the sand and pretending it didn't happen, or just trying to ignore it and say it didn't hurt. What forgiveness does is it confronts it, not even necessarily with the person, 
but it definitely confronts it in you. And you say, what you did was messed up. You know, what that person, let's call it Jack. What Jack did was messed up. What Jack did was wrong. Jack took this from me. But you make a decision now to say, you know what? Jack's never going to be able to give it back. If somebody robbed your purity, if somebody robbed your peace, if somebody robbed your joy, they're not giving it back to you. So you're chasing a debt that can never be paid. Here's what you do as a Christian. This is where Christian authority kicks in. Christian authority says, you you took my joy, but I don't need you to give me my joy back because I've got a resource from heaven that is joy unspeakable and full of glory. I can draw up joy from the wells of my salvation. There is joy that's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So I don't need you to give me my joy back. I'm getting my joy from heaven where there is an unending supply and I'm writing the check from my Father in heaven who gives me my joy back. You, you, you took my purity, but I get my purity back from you. I get my purity from heaven. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You took my peace, but I don't need you to give me my peace back because I'm drawing my peace from heaven, and he will keep me in perfect peace if my mind is stayed on him. There's a peace of God that surpasses all understanding that will keep my heart and my mind in the knowledge of him. I don't need you to give me my peace back because I'm drawing peace from heaven. I don't need you to give give me my past back because I've got a brand new future. I don't need you to give me my love and trust back because I'm getting my love and trust from heaven. No matter what they took from you, the book of Philippians says that my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in the glory in Christ. When you analyze what they took from you and you measure it against what heaven has for you, then you go, I don't need you to deal with that. I'm not chasing you. So I, I, I take my withdrawal from heaven and I pay the debt and we're done here and we break the contract. Here's what happens spiritually and emotionally. The Bible says that the borrower is servant to the lender. Whoever pays wins. And you don't even need to tell the person. You don't need to get on the phone and go, hey, by the way, you know, you stole my purity when I was four, but I've forgiven you. You don't even need to contact them. They're not about them, it's about you. But you get that back, you stand there, and you know that you break the contract, and that person has no authority over you anymore. You stop being a victim, and you step out and have the victory. But it's not an optional extra as a Christian. We can't can't pick and choose those we want to forgive. Forgiveness is not an optional extra. It's a part of kingdom living. It's an authority we've got to learn how to develop. Here's the third thing you've got to learn to do. You've got to learn how to reconfigure the judgment. And this is where I think most of us get it wrong. You've got to learn how to reconfigure the judgment. Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. New Testament teaches us, forgive people and leave the vengeance to God. I've definitely done that at times. Don't do it now. When I was a young Christian, we'd do it all the time. I'd I'd pray, God, I forgive them. You take care of them. Actually, this is a true story. In New Zealand, when I was pastoring, this serves no point other than it's a funny story. So, when I was in New Zealand, as a guy, when we first started out, I was like really young, and he was talking smack about me. It was like every rumor that came, it was his name attached to the address. So I called him. I said, hey, man, how you doing? It's John. And you, could, you know when people talking smack about you, they feel awkward that you're calling them, you know? And he's like, oh, okay. And I just check it, man, making sure you're good. You doing all right? How's your health? 
And he's like, I'm, I'm good, why? Like, you don't have any boils or anything like that? Everything's good? And he's like, no, why? I'm like, well, this may not be true, but I hear all these rumors and all this, like, negative stuff, and it seems to have your name attached to it. Now, you may have said nothing, and if you've said nothing, I apologize, but I just need to let you know, if you've been talking smack about me, I've prayed and I've told God I forgave you, and I told him he could judge you. And so I started getting a bit nervous about that today because I'm thinking, if I was God and you were doing that to one of my kids, I'd strike you with boils. So I started worrying about your health. I said, you been to the doctor lately? He's like, no. Oh, dude, go to the doctor. <laughs> it served no True story. Jesus says, Father, so follow the process. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. In other words, not only am I forgiving, but Jesus, the judgment is done here. We can stop. Five, no vengeance. We don't need any revenge. Because the judgment is the key component most of us get wrong. We've got to reconfigure the judgment. In the parable, the guy that is forgiven all the debt goes out and becomes a repeat offender. Follow this. He's now reported back to the king who jails him, not because of the debt that he owed, but because of what he did to somebody else. This is an important component in our ability to forgive. For instance, if you sexually abused me when I was five, six, ten, whatever, I have to forgive you. That's my spiritual authority. That's, that's a spiritual foundation. And, and, and I cannot, and the forgiveness is again, you can't give it back to me. I don't need you to give it back to me. I got it from heaven. You can't heal me. Don't need you to heal me. I've got it from heaven. What you took from me, you're never going to give that back. Don't need you to give it back. I get my, and so now I take authority over what I've been a victim on for so long. But what should I do? Does that mean now that we can become best buddies? Does that mean now that you can come to my house and babysit my kids? No, I, I, trust is not given, trust is earned. Second thing is, what's, what's the right judgment? The, the right judgment may be, I probably should report you to the police. I should report that offense, not because I want revenge. Follow the difference. Revenge is you hurt me, I want you to pay. That's revenge. We don't want that because now we're forgiven. What, what it does when you reconfigure the judgment is like, I forgive me, we're done here, but what you did was messed up. I will not let you do that to anybody else. And you've kept me in the dark all my life. I've never talked about it because of the shame. I've never talked about it because of the embarrassment. I buried that deep because I was fear, but now I step out. I, you can't intimidate me anymore. I'm bringing this to the front. We're going to deal with this. I'm going to stop you from doing that to anybody else. I have authority over you. Do you follow? That, that's, that's our responsibility as a Christian, not to hide behind the dark, not by, we've got to step out into the light. And those things that should be exposed need to be exposed so we can make sure that we're protecting people. Sometimes we just think forgiving is just forgiving and pretending it didn't happen. And bear, No, that's not kingdom authority. Kingdom authority is looking at the right way, processing the being healed yourself, and then dealing with it with righteous judgment. Righteous judgment is judgment without anger. Righteous judgment is judgment without revenge. Righteous judgment is judgment without bitterness. But it's doing the right thing. You say, John, I don't know how to do that. Well, that's when you come and talk to your pastor. That's when you find a leader of authority and go, this is what happened. 
I, I don't know how to, I don't know what the steps are. Can you please help me? You can step out and you'll be wonderfully free. Here's the fourth and last thing as somebody comes and plays something unbelievably romantic on the keyboard. I love this when this happens. Oh, we're into a guitar? That's cool, man. You're on the voice? That's even cooler. If I, if I sing with you while you're playing the guitar, technically I could say, oh, I sung with that guy on the voice. I like it. I like it. There's some of you that are visiting church today and maybe haven't been in church a lot or maybe it's your first time and you're wondering why we do this, why we have the guitar at the last point. Well, there's people in here today that are mature Christians and they've been waiting for the meat of the word and uh, they're done with all the jokes. No matter what I say now, it's going to sound intelligent. A little bit of soft music behind you. Everything sounds more meaty. They're going to leave happy. Then there are others like myself who have severe ADD. About now all the ADD people are like, is he done? We play the soft music and they're like, <sighs> you could consider this like fistfuls of Ritalin to the soul. That's, that's, that's what that is. Here's the last thing that you need to do. You, you need to learn how to repurpose the pain. You learn how to repurpose the pain. The parable that Jesus told wasn't about a real king or a real servant. He was trying to make an illustration. This is how real authority happens. When, when you learn to take those things that were meant to break you and you weave them into your life with the authority where they tend to make you. That's what kingdom authority does. Follow what Jesus said. Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Truth was, they did. They knew exactly what they were doing. They're professional executioners. This wasn't their first rodeo. They killed hundreds and hundreds of people. Not one bit of pain that they inflicted on Jesus was an oopsie, was an accident. They knew exactly when they beat him, they knew exactly. And every intent was to put as much pain as much humiliation, cross, death of suffocation, humiliation, common thing. Everything was designed. So Jesus wasn't saying, Father, forgive them because this was all a big accident. They didn't mean to nail me up here. No, Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them because they think they're destroying me, but they don't realize that this is a part of my purpose. Jesus at no point said, and I like it. We should do this more often. Crucifixion is awesome. It's a great view from up here. It wasn't what Jesus was saying. Jesus wasn't enjoying. The Bible says, for the joy that was set before him was able to endure the cross. In other words, he was able to take the pain, not enjoy it, but endure it, get to the other side because it was building him into his purpose. It's like the pain that happens to us. It can either make us or break us. I hate pain. I hate seeing Phil go through motor neurons disease. I hate everything about it. And there's never been once where he said, you know what, I'm reaching into the MND community with a voice. I'm so glad this happened to me because I've always wanted that to happen. 
No, he, he was able to say, this has happened. I don't like it, but I can't change it. I'll do everything I can to try to change it. But if it's, I've got to embrace it, I'm going to make something great out. So you weave your pain into the fabric of your life and make it a part of your story. I've not enjoyed any things I've had to walk through, the broken areas of my life. I wish that I didn't have that story. But some of those things, I do have the story. I wish I didn't, but I do. And now I can take that story and I can use it to help other people that feel the same pain. My wife, Anna, her first husband, Rich, died in a car accident on their second wedding anniversary, coming home from Washington, D.C., flipped his car, was killed instantly. There's nothing cool about that story. It's horrible. Brings pain into her life. There's not one point she's like, I'm glad that happened. But it did happen. She's able to weave that in the fabric of her life and now help people that lose a loved one unexplainably with such great tragedy. Not at one point has she ever said, I'm glad it happened because I love helping them. No, no, I love helping them, so I'm going to use my story. You follow how that happens? You just got to weave it in. I think one of the best illustrations of that happened in the book of Genesis where there was a young guy by the name of Joseph who was sold into slavery by his brothers who really wanted to kill him. Years later, when they thought he was dead, they're suffering from famine and they they have to end up in uh, Pharaoh's court looking for food because Pharaoh's the only guy making bank in recession. They get to Pharaoh's court, can't talk to Pharaoh, he's the number one, they get to talk to the number two guy. Talking to the number two guy, giving them their plight, we need food, we're dying of starvation. Halfway through the conversation, they realize this is Joseph, the brother they sold into slavery, the guy that we tried to kill. Immediately, they panic. We're dead. He's going to kill us. Joseph has tears fill his eyes, looks at them, and he makes a statement. He says, you meant it for evil. Nothing about what you did was good. I'm I'm not giving you a pass on that. What you did was jacked up. What you did was wrong. It hurt. It caused my, my life a lot of grief. You meant it. You meant it for evil. But I'm here today because of that. I, I didn't want that to happen, but it did, and now I'm here. Follow. He goes, and if I wasn't here, you guys would die in starvation. So the fact that I am here means I can keep my family alive. Even though I don't want to go through what I got through to get here, I am here. So I can weave my pain and I can find purpose in it. And now I can sit on authority of the throne because I've forgiven you. And I can bring healing to your life because I'm here because of that. Just time out for one second. What Joseph didn't realize he was saying that's incredibly important to all of us here today. He could have said this, Judah... Get out here, man. Judy, you don't know this, and I don't know this. Probably most people at Church of Bay Life today don't know this. But Judy, you're carrying the seed to Messiah. Judy, if you die in the famine, there is no Jesus. So, So Judy, you're the most important player here, not me, not Pharaoh. This whole thing came together to keep you alive so the world could have a Savior, the world could find salvation. He found purpose in his ability to take his pain 
and bring salvation to the world. That's what God does with us. When you can reconfigure the pain, you realize that your story helps broken people sitting beside you at work, broken people sitting beside you at school. There are people that are in unbelievable trauma, pain, anxiety, stress, that need a voice of hope. And God takes what you've gone through, the healed parts of the brokenness in your life, brings them together where you have authority over them and they don't hurt you anymore, and then uses your story and the authority to bring salvation to the world around you. How do you get kingdom authority? How? Who is the greatest in the kingdom, they ask. And Jesus said, when you can get this thing right, when you can forgive, you can be forgiven, when you can do right judgment, and you can repurpose the pain and bring healing to the world around you, man, that's what it's really about. It's not about a political revolution. It's about a spiritual revolution. It's about a church that lives free. It's about a church that lives whole. It's about a church that lives in forgiveness, not easily offended, not walking around weak and insipid, that's got forgiveness and authority in their life, bringing hope to the world around them. That's our job. Our job, our job is not to stand on a street corner and yell at everybody and tell them they're going to hell. Our job sitting beside people that are walking through hell, putting an arm around them and go, I walked through that before. I know what it feels like. I feel your pain. Feel it. It's real. Let me pray for you. Let me help you. Bring hope in their walk. Let's close our eyes and pray. Oh God, just wrap your arms around us this morning. I don't know everybody here. I don't know every story. I'd always believe that you have the right people in the right place and have a right word and season to be able to bring to them. Holy Spirit, wrap your arms around every person that's here today. Pray for every person, those that know you, those that like, they don't even really know what's happening today. They can't work it all out. It's all weird. But God, I pray that you'd go beyond my words right now and you'd just let your grace and you'd let your love, and you'd let your peace, you'd let your healing fall on this place. And I want to make light of the areas that are so hard to let go of. That that person that had an abusive spouse, that created so much havoc, so much chaos, so much pain, so much trauma that they, that they are walking around with fear. You may, may, maybe if I'm talking to you, maybe you're even medicated because of that fear. And, and they look at that situation, how, how, how can I possibly ever forgive? How can I have authority? God, I pray that you would minister to them today. You'd bring them to that place where they are no longer a victim, where they could stand in victory those that have been wounded, those that have been offended, those that have been hurt, those that have been broken. Lord, pour out your grace today. Pour out your love. Pour out your healing today in this place. Wrap your arms around people. There's those that don't know you today that need to receive forgiveness for the first time. There's those that have known you, walked away, just need to know they're forgiven all over again to come home. There are those, Lord God, that are forgiven, that have battled to forgive others. 
Lord, I don't know everyone's story, but you do. But there's a whole heap of us that need a brand new start in our life and our relationship with you. Churches, as I close this morning, if you've never prayed, never asked Jesus into your life, we're going to pray a prayer, asking God for a new beginning, a new start. You can pray this prayer this morning. God's going to hear your prayer. You can begin that journey. Or if you prayed that prayer, and maybe you've walked away from God and you just come back checking church out, pray that prayer today. God will give you a brand new start. Maybe you've prayed a prayer like that, but man, you are so overwhelmed with hurt that you need God to start beginning this journey of you forgiving others. Then you need a brand new start today. We're going to all pray this prayer together and pastor will come and let you know what your next step can be. But let's all pray this prayer together today. Say, dear Jesus, I come to you this morning. I've heard your word on forgiveness and grace and I receive it right now. So I'm asking you for a brand new start in my life and relationship with you. Please help me know you more understand your love more and have more of your grace and more of your mercy flowing through my life. Those things that were set to destroy me have no authority anymore. And today, I begin the journey of complete healing and restoration, authority, power, and dominion in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening to the message today brought to you by Baylife Church. We hope the message leaves you feeling challenged and inspired to live out your Christian walk. Please tune in again for next week's message.